Choke points. Let's go. Yes, Washington's roads are not in good shape. You can feel it. Your tires can feel it. Your car can feel it. And it's only getting worse. And here's Chris. We are on a glide path to failure. That is the word from the head of the Washington Department of Transportation, Roger Millar. He made the comment after the governor signed the transportation budget earlier this year, a budget that once again focused on shiny new things instead of taking care and preserving what we already have. For years, Millar has been sounding the alarm that the legislature is not funding the maintenance and preservation on our roads as it should. And while the new $13 billion budget does put $700 million a year into maintenance, Millar says that's about $300 million fewer dollars than his agency needs just to keep up. It's a drum that Deputy Secretary Amy Scarton continued to beat this week. The legislature will signal they're getting the message and they even moved preservation to be one of their top priorities. And yet when it came time to put the money where the policy is, we at WashDOT were less than enthused that we didn't see those numbers go up. Spart- uh, Scarton spoke to the Washington State Transportation Commission earlier this week after a presentation on the current state of our roads. An ugly presentation that was as bumpy as the Ship Canal Bridge. 59% of Washington's lane miles are considered due, past due, or far past due for preservation and maintenance. I wish we could always be ahead of the curve. Fix the leak before your roof is ruined. Unfortunately, you know, we're in a situation where we wait until the roof caves in. And then we fix it. WashDOT is only able to pave about 920 lane miles a year, less than a third of what's necessary or what's due. Scarton also criticized how the legislature hamstrings WashDOT when it comes to using the money it's given. The money is earmarked for specific line items, including road projects specifically, which doesn't give WashDOT much flexibility to move the money around when it can speed up projects. That is not how the legislature funds the Department of Transportation. We have more than 1,000 specific directions on how to uh, spend the transportation dollars. And we cannot move funding if we have a construction project run under. We cannot move that to fund a preservation project that is sorely needed. And then Skarton dropped this bombshell, something I'm not sure I've heard very often coming out of someone in Olympia. I'm not so sure, actually, that it's that we need more funding, that we need more sources of funding. We have more funding now than we've ever had in the history of transportation in our state, both from our state revenues, from our federal revenues, being directed to new build projects in lieu of preserving the ferry system, preserving the roads, preserving the bridges. Let that soak in for a minute. We have more money than we've ever had, and yet... Our roads are still crumbling. Read between the lines, and that's a shot at the legislature and its priorities. And just to drive home this point, Washington currently has 159 concrete bridge decks that are considered due or past due for maintenance. Washdot's only getting to 24 of them this year. I'd be happy happy just just to see them uh, stripe some of the lanes. Yeah, but again, they don't have the flexibility. And a lot of the way the budgets are set up for a lot of agencies, the legislature just gives them the money, and they use it. Here, when they do things, they line item out every project, like $1 million for this road, $2 million for this road. And so if that comes in at $540,000, they can't put the you know, the 460 into another quick project to pave or do something like that. It's, it's, uh, it's kind of an odd situation the way they line item it out. It's been a while since I looked it up, but what percentage of the bridges are considered to be substandard? Oh, boy. Uh, 
that one I don't have that one off the top of my head, uh, but I, I it, it's probably in my mynorthwest.com article deep in the right. I guess what I'm getting at it, it, at some point isn't there a legal responsibility where regardless of what the legislature might want to do. The law says you can't let people drive on something that could fall apart. That is also very true. And a lot of it is uh, the smaller, the county roads yeah. that are not, as part of the uh, the road maintenance presentation earlier this week, uh, it showed that the funding portion for the counties has stayed flat since the 90s, while the WashDOT budget has gone up. So the, the local money is not getting there for some of those things. Like you go to East King County and there are tons of bridges on in East King County that are not in very good shape and need the money, but it doesn't get there uh, because it is uh, dedicated elsewhere from the legislature. Yeah. All right. Well, keep following it, Chris. Yeah, it's, it's a very interesting soundbite, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I, I just I, it, the striping thing bugs me though because yeah, in the rainy season and there the the lines are hard enough to see as it is, but once it rains, they literally disappear. disappear. That's right. And sometimes what takes their place are the past lines that have been ground down. And I, I can't tell you how uh, scary that can be. Well, the good news is, Dave, we're not the only ones. Now that it's been raining in Idaho and Montana, I've been seeing the exact same thing with the ghost lines that have been burned off. Yeah. A lot of times they're much more visible than the paint. Yeah. 637 Seattle's morning news. The big shakeout drill scheduled for today because it's not about if we're going to get another big earthquake. It's more like when. And Cairo News Radio's Mickey Gomez has some advice on how we can prepare a go kit. Remember this? Uh, we are shaking like crazy here. We are having an earthquake, I oh. believe. That's Cairo News Radio host Dave Ross. During the 2001 Nisqually earthquake, it was a 6.8 and caused $4 billion in damage. Seattle native Patty Evans recalls where she was when it hit. I was just about to go on a conference call with one of my graphic designers and we were in a conference room and we heard the mini blinds shaking against the glass. Evan stopped and dropped under her desk. Literally holding onto the table leg was the right thing because like the ceiling tiles were coming down and if those had come down on our heads, you know, who knows who would have gotten hurt. She didn't have a go kit, a bag filled with basic items needed in the event of an emergency. Evan says she has one now and she made her own. You can buy them, but I think you can just as easily make your own if you know what goes in them. She shares what's in her bag. I have um, a first aid kit. I have boots. I have flashlight, let's see, a whistle, a headlamp. Meteorologist and emergency planner Ted Beener tells us what we need in hours. A typical go kit is going to have essentials, food, water, medicines, cash, anything along those lines that you really need when you need to take off. Maybe some additional clothing if it's during the winter season. And if you don't have time to make your own, Beaner says you can buy one. Large box stores like Costco also have some emergency kits that are ready to go. Go kits cost anywhere between $150 and $4,000. And once you have a kit... You just have it near the door, grab it, and out you go. And when the big one does hit, Beaner says to keep these items under your bed. I have a pair of hard-soled shoes. I have gloves. I have a flashlight. I have glow sticks. And I have a hard hat. He explains why. 
When we have an earthquake, the most prominent injuries that occur are the result of things that fall and break on the floor, so like broken glass. And if you feel overwhelmed and unorganized, don't think you have to get everything all at once. Tay Thatch with the Office of Emergency Management says... Get a little bit of items here and there a monthly because a lot of folks think or feel that getting a kit all at once is overwhelming. She says you can visit seattle.gov and print a disaster plan template to get organized one item at a time. And we've also placed a link on our website at mynorthwest.com. Mickey Gomez, Cairo News Radio. Here we are again talking about war and peace. And yesterday I had a conversation with Emma Belcher. She's the president of the Plowshares Fund, which is a foundation focused on reducing the threat that nuclear weapons pose. And uh, actually, we spoke around this time last year when the conflict between Ukraine and Russia began to escalate. And so with the violence between Israel and Hamas in Gaza, uh, I thought we'd talk about that and what are the prospects for finding some kind of peaceful solution, because after all, she is a professional peacemaker. What can you do differently to settle a long-standing feud like this one? Well, you're right that we can only understand what's happening now in the context of the decades-old fight between Israelis and Palestinians, the land that they both call home. But it's important to recognise that innocent civilians are being harmed and international norms are being violated, which is devastating. And what we are concerned about is that any reaction that Israel might have now um, that is not very carefully considered and calibrated to what could happen next has the potential to spark even more conflict and an escalation. So this is why we hope that this is going to be a catalyst for all sides to work towards a diplomatic solution that brings lasting peace to the region. And I think from Plowshare's perspective, what we worry about is nuclear weapons. Yeah. And what we're concerned about is that should Israel and others respond and react in a way that leads to broader escalation, um, if it attacked Iran militarily, for example, which it believes uh, was behind um, and supports Hamas in this horrific attack, if it attacked Iran militarily, we could see Iran take that decision, which it doesn't appear to have made yet, to develop nuclear weapons. Then we have a nuclear Iran in the region, which could lead to Saudi Arabia getting nuclear weapons because it has said that it would if Iran did. And we could have a domino effect of more countries with more nuclear weapons, which is a recipe disaster, not only for the region, but for the world. Right. And we assume that Israel has nuclear weapons too, right? Yes. Israel does not declare openly that it has nuclear weapons, but we believe it has around 90 nuclear weapons today, and it has had nuclear weapons since the 1960s. So we all know what the stakes are these days since there are so many nuclear weapons, nuclear countries um, out there. And yet, again, even with this, and nuclear weapons, mutual assured destruction was supposed to be the thing that, that guarantees that there will, uh, there will be some serious peacemaking going on. But you're a professional peacemaker, basically. That's how I see you. That's how I see plowshares. And uh, yet it just, even with the stakes, even when the stakes are sky high, even when the stakes are existential, as they are with nuclear weapons, somehow, when there's a blood feud like this, people can't bring themselves to even even uh, uh, impose a ceasefire at this point. 
Right. And I think, as you put it, Plowshares Fund is a peace and security foundation. And we've got serious concerns about relying on a concept like mutually assured destruction, uh, where you threaten another country with nuclear annihilation in retaliation for nuclear attack, thereby nobody moves. We're so concerned about that because the stakes are so high. This is a theory um, that doesn't necessarily work so well in practice. Right. So right. this theory is vulnerable to a mistake or a miscalculation where you don't correctly identify what your opponent might be thinking. And it could lead you to actually launch a nuclear strike um, thinking that your opponent is about to. And then you've started a nuclear war by mistake. And we've seen this happen time and again over the course of the nuclear weapons era where the United States has thought that the Soviet Union was launching an attack and almost started a nuclear war by mistake, and vice versa, where the Soviets thought the United States was launching a nuclear attack and almost launched a nuclear war. So with the stakes so high, there's no room for error. So we can no longer be relying on this concept of mutually assured destruction uh, to keep us safe. Emma Belcher, president of the Plowshares Fund. And we talked for quite a while Uh, President Biden, of course, in his speech from Tel Aviv, basically called for restraint from Israel. And Emma herself believes that the ideal situation is to sit down and uh, talk with your enemy. But how do you talk and uh, and negotiate with someone who uh, deliberately starts a war by massacring uh, civilians? And, of course, what Israel's doing also looks pretty ugly. But I asked her, do, do, are you saying that Israel should refrain from any retaliation? Um, I think Israel has the right to defend itself. Um, so I think thinking about what that response is and how it's conducted in a way that doesn't create more civilian uh, harm and loss and devastation is tricky. And, you know, this is that age old, um, uh, very difficult situation, as you mentioned at the outset. So just keeping in mind that the response needs to be one that doesn't further inflame things and one that um, you can take a step back from the obvious sort of um, initial emotional response. Um, I think that is the way that we need to be looking at these kinds of things. Right. Do you see uh, any reason to feel reassured that this can be settled more peacefully? Well, when it comes to nuclear weapons, I am positive about it. I actually, you know, being here in Seattle, in fact, um, is a place where I find people very attuned to the nuclear weapons threat. It's uh, one of the places in the United States that has a large number of uh, nuclear weapons on its submarines. It has the Hanford site, which contributed to the development of nuclear weapons. And there's very much an awareness among people in Seattle about um, the connection the state has to nuclear weapons and the fact that they need to have a say in nuclear weapons posture and policy. Um, I uh, see younger people who are willing to take action. They're willing to stand up for what they believe in. And in that respect, I am really, really encouraged. So I, I, I like to say to people here, make sure you make your voices heard because you have a big stake in this matter and uh, you definitely have a say. Emma Belcher is the president of the Plowshares Fund. Emma, thanks for coming on with us. Thanks very much, Dave. Your daily dose of kindness brought to you by Robert W. Baird. A couple years ago, a group of teens made it their mission to teach 
senior citizens how to use technology. CBS's Steve Hartman has their story. The residents at Brookdale Senior Living have a wealth of wisdom, but many also have a gap in that knowledge. Most notably, look at all these different things. How do you work this telephone gizmo? Gosh. Even turn it on. That was hard. Right. My email was not coming in. I don't know where things are. It's just not easy. Help. Tell me how to run it. <laughs> Enter our heroes, a group of computer-savvy Gen Zers who march in once a week to control S the day. But why? A couple years ago, some students here at Canterbury School in Fort Myers, Florida, were joking about how bad their grandparents were at anything technical. But when the laughter faded, one of them was struck with a seriously good idea. Yeah, it's called CLEO. It stands for Computer Literacy Education Outreach. Aaron Smoljar, along with friends Christian Lakeese and Derek Hunikin, started the CLEO Club and tried to partner with Brookdale. Yeah, initially we tried emailing, but I think maybe we got like put in the spam. <laughs> you know use email? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. So we, I mean, it's right next door. We literally, it was before we could drive, so we just walked over after school. And they've been volunteering ever since. Okay, then go to Photos icon. Jonathan Smith couldn't figure out how to text a picture. Do I poke it? Yeah, you just click it. And that's all there is to it? Yeah, click it. Nancy Kilpatrick wanted to clear out her inbox for the first time. 122,000. Emails? Yes. Fortunately, Nancy learned you don't have to delete them one at a time. Look at that. Look at that. Look at that. Look at that. For the kids, it's not always easy. I'm getting it. All right. But they keep coming back week after week. I've never had that before. Those young people are just amazing. A great group. They're a blessing, you know. And they have so much patience with us. We're on a first-name basis now. <laughs> and those friendships may be the best part. Because eventually the devices go dark. But the conversation continues. Proving that as a communication tool, smartphones always work best. Powered off. Have a good one. Thank you so much. Steve Hartman Thank you. on the road. Come by next week. Oh, I am. In Fort Myers, Florida. Already. I love it. And from the Gene Ursula Show, which starts at 9 o'clock, here is G. Scott. G, Netflix is raising prices so that the ad-free plan is, what, uh, $23, and the basic plan is going to increase to $12. What do we do? We've been hoodwinked. Hood We've been winked. bamboozled. Really? We've been led astray. <laughs> Let me tell you something. Colleen, I, I, I couldn't wait. I had this one ready for you, Colleen. I had this one ready. Why? It, uh, well, it's almost like you're dating somebody, you're dating somebody, <laughs> and then you finally, then you get married, and all of a sudden they stop cooking. They stopped doing all. So the guy was all nice. He opened the door for you, did all those things. And then when you got married, he stopped doing all those things. Netflix, <laughs> years ago, we was at six ninety nine, and we thought that that was a good deal. What? Did it really start at six ninety nine? Did it? You guys remember? Who remembers Netflix when you, they used to used to get the, the CDs in yeah. the mail? Oh, oh, I see. You're yeah. talking about like way get, back machine. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Well, I'm, I'm talking following. about way back in the day. You know, okay. I, but that's what yes. I'm saying. This relationship with Netflix has been going strong. Netflix is the one that changed. We need to go to counseling. But, we but need to here, sit down, have some therapy, and talk it out. If I could argue a counterpoint, 
Netflix okay. has also gotten okay. way better since it's six ninety nine days. I mean, that was busted, G, when you got sort of like a scratched up DVD and then you had to return it, but you always forgot and then they charge you full price for it. Netflix now has some of the most quality programs. They're beautiful. They might take two years to make each season, but they're beautiful and I would argue worth the cost. Can I tell you you a story? Mm -hmm. Um, My cousin was married was married, I said, and they were together for some years. She ended up going to get some cosmetic surgery. She got all the light folk, got all that stuff. Then she started to look really good. Two years later, she left him. Yeah. All I'm saying is, is some of us have been with Netflix from yeah. the beginning. And maybe you can't Netflix leave is this saying- relationship. You can't. Uh-huh. Maybe Netflix is saying, I'm listening. well, we uh, we are catering to a new type of clientele, just like that gal was yeah. saying. I'm oh. I'm catering to a, a new we're just type not of into guy. you anymore. That's what yeah, this, we're that's just I mean, sometimes it's not, you know, it's one sided. G. Uh, I hate to tell you that, but Netflix is leaving Netflix you behind in the dust. Netflix cannot do this. Some of us, oh, if but you're listening can. right now, some of us have been with Netflix for a long time. We've been with Netflix for from the beginning. Now, Netflix, you want to start to look better. You want to start mm-hmm. to do all these fancy things. You really start, I mean, as last year, third quarter, you had 2.2 million uh, increase in subscribers. This year, you've got 8.8 million in subscribers. Why? Because y'all stopped letting us share more. passwords. I know, but those who are staying are this willing is- to pay more. So, but, but, so what I'm saying is, and what you are saying, see, the difference between you and I is this, Colleen. Yeah. I believe that when you end a relationship, you stay in that relationship. This is not the time for Netflix mm. to continue to increase. Now, Netflix knows that a lot of us are not going to leave this relationship because we love Netflix. So if it's $22.99 today, and then what's going to happen next year? Are you going to move it to $24.99? And what are we supposed to do? Are we supposed to just take this? Mm-hmm. That's what happens when you put a ring on it, G. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I can You've say. just been waiting to say that this whole time. <laughs> so, so are you breaking up with Netflix, G, or are you going to keep paying? No, I, I'm not. You're breaking not, up with I mean, Netflix? I'm the person... No, I'm not breaking up oh, with no, Netflix. Okay. I'm going to be yeah. the significant other that's at home while Netflix continues to come in at 3, 4 in the morning anytime they want. Because I'm loyal in this relationship yeah. while Netflix is out there trying to find new subscribers. Well, this is way more complicated than I expected. This, is, this sounds like a therapy session it you does. might need to work out with yes. your, uh, your counselor there. And uh, that's what he'll do when he discusses it with Ursula at 9 o'clock Deeper than TV. Morning. That's right. Dave Ross. And I'm Colleen O'Brien. Thanks for listening to Seattle's Morning News. You can hear us live every morning on 97.3 FM or subscribe to this podcast and you'll never miss the show.